you Yeah, yo There whenever it matters and even more when you feel like it doesn't Protect you so you never feel like you wasn't Know I'm right alongside you, here by that I'm behind you But always got you, end the discussion, nothing means more First one to offer his shoulders for what you preach for Thought I saw the eyes of the world until I seen yours And know that I ain't see a better view yet I'm with whatever, so don't ever you fret Know that you covered, not a hurdle or a heartbreak To change what a part take Cause none of them won't ever get comfortable in your walkway My job is to aware you, fully loaded Prepare you for all of the above that I'm never letting get near you. But still, I know, give you every advantage I found. Couldn't find a better fit for them along with my crown. And since the baton was passed, hopping down, cause feeling's not an option and dad is not a noun, not at all. Hey everybody, this is Ishmael from Dad Is Not and Now. I have a great conversation today. I have my co-host today, Greg Burham. What's up, Greg? He is the co-creator of the Tuskegee Hairs, as well as the creator of the Search of Sadake. I'm a big fan of his work because he implements history into storytelling. So what's going on, brother? Hey, how are you? I am happy to be here. Uh, that's all I can say, man. Uh, good times. You know, we had a decent, pretty decent election. Uh, so, yeah, I'm happy to be here. And I appreciate you for being here. And also, I'm excited to have this guest on because we just had a historical election just recently. Uh, we just elected the first madam woman of color president, Kamala Harris. Yay! Wow. <laughs> <laughs> but also, I think I'm a type of person that looks back to the history and then the significance of how history plays into today. And the one person I'm thinking of, of, of a man by the name of Julie, July Perry. Um, he was an entrepreneur and he also tried to get the vote out in 1920. He lost his life and he's lost his land. And I'm excited to have Pam Grady. She's the executive director of the July Perry Foundation. How you doing, Miss Grady? How you doing? Hi, I am doing wonderful. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. This, no, is, this is an honor to be here. Thank you so no, much. It's, it's truly an honor to have you on. And I think it's important to tell July Perry's story because it's important because it adds to that timeline to where we at today. Um, so first thing, who was July Perry? Well, July Perry was a, um, he was a farmer, you know, he was a labor leader. He was the, uh, uh, he started the, free, uh, the Akoi, Akoi Mason Lodge, uh, number 66. He was a, he was a the worshipful master, I believe, at the time of his uh, demise. And he was a deacon of a church. You know, he uh, was a man that was ahead of his time. And a lot of, he was really a civil rights leader before they really uh, came to be. You know, I, he, in my mind, he, when you look at his story and what he did, he rivals the memory of people like Martin Luther King Jr. and uh, Megger Evers. You know, he he was ahead of his time, and uh, he did he did he was campaigning doing the same thing they were doing later on, and, and you know, all of them gave their lives for the advancement of colored people, black people. You know, and um, July Perry was he was born in 1868. He was born in Travers Rest, South Carolina, and at the age of 18. He uh, he was always proud of being born a, not born a slave. That's something that he always felt like was something that he was proud of. That that's mentioned a few times in the research I've done. And how he was proud to not be born a slave. He was born three years after slavery ended. He was born of slaves. But at age eighteen, he moved to um, from Travers Rest, South Carolina, to uh, Ocoee, Florida. And he at that time was great friends with Mose Norman, who's a pivotal force. Uh, behind the, in, in the, you see that they, they were friends for a long time. You know, July Perry moved to Okoye at 18 and Mose Norman was about 18 or 17 as well. And they had another friend with them named Vincent Hightower. July Perry and Mose Norman both, you know, July Perry died and Mose Norman and Vincent Hightower escaped. Um, but they still lost their land as well. But, you know, it had, you know, they were 18 when they moved there and July Perry was in his 50s when he was murdered. 
So they, they were friends for a very long time. Moses Norman would have been probably his best friend. You know, that's, that's the way I kind of see it. Somebody knows somebody that long that could have very well been his best friend, his closest friend, you know, or one of his closest friends. But he was very busy, you know, working and, and building an empire, you know, and he was helping black people own property and with agriculture. And he was great with the land. He, he was a civil rights leader of the community, you know, labor leader and, um, he had, they had five kids, you know, and they, they, they were just living a good life, you know, and trying to do what's right and but living in that hostile environment. You know, um, it, it, I imagine it must have been hard to be someone who's that successful. And then you have people that just like you just for the color of your skin. And then, of course, all the all the success that you easily attain, and he, he easily attained the success. It didn't come hard to him by any means at all. He was able to handle a lot of a lot. So he must have been a very intelligent man. Uh, very uh, astute man. He had to be very, um, uh, he had to really have a, a strong work ethic, you know. And when I look at his descendants, you know, I've, I've met a lot of his descendants, you know, through this process of mine where I started with the petition coming along this road. They are all honorable people, you know. I mean, and everybody has their faults. I don't want to put everybody on a pedestal too much, but, you know, they, they are honorable people. They're decent people. So I'm sure the DNA uh, doesn't, you know, that didn't, didn't come from him. But anyway, he that's what he was doing, and he, him, and, Mo, and Mose, Mose was more of a. He had property. He had a hundred acres of land. You know, July Perry had a lot of land, and he sold a lot of houses, bought and sold stuff. So they were the two richest men in the Foley, black richest black men in the Foley. Wow. And for for people that aren't familiar with the Akoi massacre, would you mind giving us a little more um, detail about what exactly happened? Sure. Yeah, so the Akoya Massacre, in 1920, there was an election that was happening. Um, and it was a pivotal election because women got the right to vote in 1920. And at that time, African-American women registering to vote were outnumbering their white counterparts by like four to one. Mm. So, you know, largely probably in part because in the, in the white household, you had the, the, the Caucasian husband not allowing his wife to vote. Whereas in the African-American home, the husband and the head of the house was, was pushing her to go vote, you know, that was, that was helping their cause as black people. So he definitely wasn't oppressing his woman, you know? So, um, and then you may have had more homes that just had a woman as the head of the household because men were, were dealing with a lot. They were killing our men like they do now. They were killing them all. So I'm sure there were a lot of women that had, you know, that were widowed or had been, or, or were heads of houses by themselves as well. That, that was probably also the difference. But anyway, four to one, they were outnumbering um, the white, their white counterparts with voting. And, um, you know, Mose Norman and July Perry were both involved with Judge Cheney and another person, I can't call his name off the top of my head, but another uh, white man was helping them, you know, get these people registered to vote and all that. And, the claim, and they had to teach them how to vote. And they had to pay poll taxes, too, because they had taxes they had to pay. So another, um, uh, uh, the Klan was starting to have a, a problem with it. They were, you know, they were going through the town and they were, rioting and doing different things and letting them know, you know, a month in advance, even up to three days in advance before the election, you better not vote, you better not vote, what are we gonna do to you? They even had a letter that was sent to Judge Cheney by one of the Klansmen that said, you know, you better stop helping them register to vote or we're gonna, you know, we're gonna do something bad. Basically, I'm, I'm watering it down, but that's basically what the, letter, what, the, what the letter said. So after that happened, you know, I imagined that the the bravery that it took for July Perry and Mose Norman to continue to go forward after that, knowing that they were very well facing uncertain death. I mean, you know, they 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 weren't. He was the first person ever lynched, you know. So they knew what these what these what the, the clan was capable of, and they still went forward. The bravery of them had to be that's phenomenal. Um, so on uh, November second, you know, Mose Norman first they say that. The research I've seen has said that July Perry got up early, him and Estella Perry, they got up early and they actually went down and voted before the Klan had a chance to get their militia out to stop people. They had, they were, you know, stopping people, they had poll watchers stopping people, black people from trying to vote. Uh, Mr. Bigelow was the justice of the peace at the time. And he went, you know, they had him go out and go fishing so, they, so the, the African-Americans couldn't go pay their poll tax right there locally. Now, most Norman had, he was, he had a car that was valued at seventy-five to $100,000 by today's standard. 
So he's driving around a Jaguar, a Mercedes or something like that, you know? And so he was the only one that had a vehicle. So he was able to go drive to Judge Cheney's house and tell who was in Orlando. That would have been a long walk for somebody on foot or by horse. They could have got there and back and got back in time to, to vote. But, but Mose Norman could hop in his car and zip right over there and come right back in 30 minutes to an hour and handle it. So he went over to Judge Cheney's house and told him what was going on at the polls. And he said, okay, you know, go back to the polls and tell me who it is, write down their names and tell me who's doing it, who's trying to vote, and what's going on, I'll handle it. So Mosimer went back feeling, you know, like he had, um, had he had his right to vote. You know, he had his right to vote and he was going to vote. So he went back and they accosted him. You know, he was not able to write down anybody's name. They accosted him, they beat him up pretty bad. And then he left from there, uh, fleed for his life, basically left from there and went to, went to July Perry's house and told him what was going on. Mose Norman was determined at that point to leave. He was not going to stay. He had his wife in the car. He, they, he was packed up. They were ready to go. You know, they're, they're like, we come by saying, hey, we're getting out of here. You guys need to come on. Let's get out of here. Let's go. And July Perry did not want to for whatever reason. Maybe he didn't feel as scared. He, he was able to cast his vote. Maybe he felt, he felt at peace about it. Maybe he just felt like he was going to handle whatever happened. And that's so he stayed. Mose Norman left. Then um, there's a, there's a another story about this gentleman named Burley Jones, who was a, um, I don't want to use a bad word, but it's like he was kind of the guy that was, he was, he was our color, but he didn't, you know, he was always telling, you know, trying to tell our business, you know. So he went back to Blueford Sims, we worked for, and told Blueford Sims, hey, the black folks are starting up something, whatever, whatever. that's what they say. Now, whether that that's true or not, that could be the false narrative that's out there. It's trying to make it look like it, the black people were rioting. Right. But that's one thing. That, that narrative is out there. But um, he, anyway, for whatever reason, the Klan got stirred up. Now, it was in the evening. Now, this all the polls were closed by the time the Klan got stirred up. Because July Perry and his wife were preparing to go to bed. They were going to be a little early. But it was like 8, 7.30ish maybe. They were going to be a little early, but it was dark. So it had to be, you know, in November, you start with about like you know, about eight o'clock. So I figured had to be at eight eight thirty because they were just preparing to go to bed. And it was dark outside when um, this mob came up to 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 do something to him. The mob was led by Sam Salisbury, and the mob was deputized by by the deputy sheriff named Clyde Pounds. Mm. So they he came to the door and knocked on the door and told you know it was for Mose Norman. Um, he said, of course, Mose Norman's there, but they'll take July. They know that's his friend. That's his close friend. So they, they'll take, they probably took anybody actually, but they took, they said, okay, well, just come down with us. We're going to talk to you about whatever and come out with us. Well, you know, being with the times, being what they were, you know, all the things that we had going on at that time um, with racism and Jim Crow laws and all that, you know, he knew that he, they weren't just trying to talk to him. He knew they were going to do something to him. So he went back inside to get his coat or that's what he said. And that's when the fight ensued. Mm -hmm. In the house with him was just his wife, Estella, and his daughter, Carissa. He had other children that, that were, whatever reason, not out in the house. They were, I think they were out or they, or they fled out or something, or something of that nature. But um, he, they, a gunfight ensued. They started shooting and everything. And, and Sam Salisbury got shot in the arm. You know, it, it's, it's not sure if, he, if Caritha shot him on purpose or by accident, but, or how he got actually shot. He got shot inside the house, but he got shot in the arm. And a gunfight ensued and uh, two white men were killed. And uh, they all, the first mob fled um, because, you know, just, I think it's kind of cool that July Perry, his wife and his daughter were able to drive off a lynch mob, the first lynch mob by themselves <laughs> to the point that they went back saying, you know what? There's a whole band, there's a whole gang of them in there. And it was just three people, three people. Wow. That's wow. pretty cool. And two women. Carissa got shot. July Perry got shot and they, the mob went off and they, you know, what happened in that house is kind of, you know, between July, Perry, somehow the girls were, were went one way and July Perry went another way. Um, the mob, they, the mob retreated, but they called for backup. Now at first it was all Koi people starting it and they wouldn't call for backup. They went call Papa Orlando and all the other places and they, and they got backup and they came back stronger and bigger and July Perry being wounded, he couldn't run. He couldn't do anything. And uh, I one of, the, one of the ancestors said that it was his dog that gave him away. He had a little dog, oh. and the dog started barking. 
and gave it, and, and, and that's how they knew where he was. Doggone it, right? Wow. So um, the dog gave him away, and they found him, and they took him to the hospital first. They took him to the jail, threw him in the jail, and, they, and he was pretty wounded. He was, he was, I, I, I think he was mortally wounded at that point. I think, he, I think he would have, he made, he, I, I think, but I can't prove, of course, that he probably would die from his injuries. He would have been shot a couple times. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, that, the, and, and then at night, about three o'clock in the morning, the jailer named Frank Gordon, the mob came along and asked him to give us the keys that, you know, we're going to take him out. And of course, they know what he's going to do, you know. Mm-hmm. So Frank Gordon hands over the keys to the cell. And they and they take the mob takes him out and they drag him to near Judge Cheney's home, the one that was helping him. Right. They drag near Judge Cheney's home, and they and they they beat him up and they they somehow and all that that happened to him, his arm just came off his body. He was dis- dismembered, um, but they struggled. They, they they hung him from a lamp a lamp post, light post, where Judge Cheney could see him out of his window, wow. and they put on his shirt. This is what happens to niggas that try to vote. You know, and then they riddled his body with bullets. Uh, they let him hang there. They 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 threatened anybody would try to get it, get his body down. You know, they made, made him just let him hang there dead. And uh, the undertaker that finally went there in the middle of the night and took his body down was beaten, I believe, or something. He got threatened or beaten, but he was he was he did it anyway. But they dealt with him, you know, for doing that. But he buried him in an unmarked grave, real quick, real fast, wow. to get, to, to, just for to honor the man. You know, he'd been a man of that they respected. You know, he didn't want to see his body laying up there, all you know the way it was looking for his family to see, for anybody to see. He was trying to get his man's honor. So he buried him in an unmarked grave in Greenwood, Greenwood Cemetery. And he laid there in that unmarked grave for 78 years until wow. a group named Democracy Forum found him and put a headstone on it. Yeah. That's, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. also, can you kind of talk about, because they didn't finish with that, that you know, they burned down houses where people yes. um, exactly. uh, lived in. And then I've heard stories <laughs> of them taking body parts as souvenirs. Can oh, you talk about that? Let me tell you. They that was something that they did back then. They would take people, take body parts, take fingers and, and, and toes and stuff of African American men. It wasn't just happening in the cold, it happened all over the place. But they would just take it and mail it back to people. It was really really some brutal, evil behavior that they would they would do. Um, they treat us like we were animals, like you know, like like, like you catching a deer now, you know, and just have his ant- ant- antlers and you know pieces of it, a, a, a shark's tooth or something, and send to your friend. That's how they viewed us, like we were just animals, you know, we weren't anything that was um, worth caring about. So they um, they went and they torched all of northern Akoi, all of northern Akoi, and they and in doing that, they people were you know they, nobody was rioting. You know, that's that's the thing. These people were scared. Once they they they, they strung up July, Moses Norman ran for his life. Right. So these were scared people. They weren't trying to fight back. They were trying to get out of Dodge. Right. So they were leaving and they were trying to hide. And one lady, one story, several stories I have. I'll tell you this one first. She was pregnant, too far pregnant, like eight, nine months pregnant, too far pregnant to leave her house. She, she can't run out into the field. They're running into the, 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 in the trees, into the you know, woods and swamp land. This is a woman's about to give birth. She can't run. So her mother wouldn't leave her. And all they could do is sit back and hope they had mercy on her, right? right? So her mother couldn't leave her. So they hid in the house. They crawled under the in the, under the house in the crawl space under the house. And the white people came, saw where they were, and tore, lit the house on fire and burned them up under the house. Their right. bodies were found huddled together like in the fetal position, holding each other. You know, that's how they found their bottles, bo- how they found their bodies. Um, um, and, um, uh, so, and also too, um, at, at that, that they burned him and they found their bodies and they, you know, they were torched under the house. Um, there's another story of people, uh, one family is a family of eight and they were, um, in their house as well as children and um, wife and, you know, a whole family of eight people. They were in their house as well. And they, they, they ran him out their house. And they grabbed the bob wire that was around their house, the chicken wire that was around the house, and they wrapped the family in that bob wire wow. and doused them and set them on fire. Wow. I mean, you know, there's there's there's, <laughs> there's a gentleman that was in um, July Perry's barn. His name was Roosevelt. He was in the barn. He was a farmhand helping helping July Perry. And all the chaos ensued with July Perry. I don't know whether it was before they got him out, before they found him, or after they found him. But in all that, they this man was killed as well. He was in the barn 
and they surrounded the barn and made him come out. And they said, listen, you have two choices, you know, either you go back in that barn, we set you on fire, or you stand right here, we're going to shoot you to death. Wow. You, get, you get to choose your death today. And he chose to go back in the barn and be set on fire. And they killed him in that barn like that. You know, so so it's it's, it's stories like that that um, you can't just let that die. You can't just walk away from that and say, you know, we're just going to let it go. You know, I mean, yeah, we're forgiving and we understand that we're in modern times and the people that actually did it are not alive today. But why can't we just tell our story? You know, can we just tell our story? Can we just have our history, please? Can black people have our, can we have our history? You're taking everything else. Can we at least have that? You know, can we have that? You know, and I, I don't think that's too much to ask. You know, let us tell our story. And that's why I fight so hard to make sure the truth goes out here. I don't want them to whitewash our history and, and to water it down. It's the only three people died. You know, there was one NAACP reporter named Walter White who went out there. He was he was a black man able to pass for white. And he interviewed one person that was bragging about saying he killed 17 niggers. Wow. That's what he said. I killed 17 of them niggers. Wow. And he's just one person, one man. So you can't tell me it was only three people that were killed. You know, there's just enough evidence out there to prove that he could have been. Well, we, we know this. The 1920 census had 255 black people on it. And censuses back then were not done accurately. Right. They missed us. They weren't trying to count us. Okay. So they missed us a lot of times. And we, you know, it wasn't like we have it organized today. You know, people right. weren't home. They're out in the field. They, you know, they, they, don't, they didn't go down the road to go to somebody's house. Those censuses were not accurate by any, by any, any long shot. But they did accurately account for 255 that are, that are missing. You know, you, you can't find the, most of those names on the, on the paper. You cannot find, you know, where do these people go? Over a hundred of them, where do they go? Where are they today? You know, so they, they just disappeared. Yeah, they're, they're, they're buried somewhere. They're buried, their bodies are torched. They're just, they're just nothing but ashes, you know. There's nothing left of them to even find, you know. So a lot of them were torched to death. So how do you, what do you do with that? They cremated on the grounds, you know. And then, uh. So yeah, that's what that's a lot of what happened back then. It was it was terrible. There was one man. <laughs> that's my last story. <laughs> no, no, no. no. Um, he was he was he was. They, they came to his house and they got him out of the house and his family as well. And they took him out in, into the yard and they castrated him. Wow. And then killed him in front of his family. You know, it's like how, how do you do something like that? That's just you know. That's how bad they saw us at that time. These men were evil. And then when you look at who, you know, the founders and stuff like that of Okoye were and, you know, what they did and how they helped do this, you can't help but say, we can't honor these people. You know, how are you going to honor murderers? We don't, we wouldn't honor Jeffrey Dahmer. You know, we wouldn't honor, you don't see a monument going up to him. You know, (laughs) if someone's a murderer, why would you name a street after them? You know, you can prove they did something. You prove they 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 helped in a, in a crime. And there's no statute of limitations on murder. Right. You know, so, I mean, they were murder then. They're still a murder now. They can be convicted today in a court today. You know, yeah, definitely, definitely. Greg, you got a question, buddy? Convict them and put them in jail. Uh, no, I just um, I was thinking of the parallels of that time, and you know, with us just having this election, and I, you know. As someone who studied and I despise what the electoral college represents and, you know, the way that they've, you know, in my opinion, they've been kind of fixing elections. You know, we've had like, um, what is it, two times in the last 20 years where the person that won the popular vote lost the election. Um, So, you know, when we hear about this, sometimes we kind of can give up. But then you listen to these stories and, you know, that, you know, people will try to guilt people and they'll say, your ancestors died for the Uh right to vote. I'm Uh like, well, they were, you know, they weren't choosing to die. They were trying to make a better place for their people and these animals. Because, you know, you say that they, you know, they thought of us as animals, but they're, they're the ones that were doing all the, and this is not anti what you're saying. I'm just saying right. that they were the ones that were behaving like savages. You know, That's right. They were the ones that, you know, like, you know, this is not an animal. This is a human. Right. You know, you're yeah. able to procreate with us. You're able to, you know, to do all these things. You know that we're human. They were the ones that were behaving that way. And I just think, 
it's really powerful to be having this discussion right now after watching, you know, so many people get galvanized to go out there and vote. And then for like someone like me who lives in Georgia, you know, and I've lived in Georgia for 21 years. And this is the first time that I can say that my vote for the president, I feel like it actually mattered. This is the first time where I was like pridefully sitting back, like, come on, Georgia, let's go. And when they get to my county, you know, it's like one of my county was one of the last Gwinnett County was one of the last that they were waiting for. And I'm like, come on, Gwinnett, come on, you know. Um, so just just knowing that, like, and seeing um, that there was power, like we did have power this time where I live. And then having this discussion is just amazing to me. Um, I feel like like what you're doing by trying to keep the name and keep the, you know, keep the names and keep this event alive is huge and something that we need to definitely try to help amplify because, you know, um, these stories are happening all over. They were happening all over. And the more we understand it, we can get off of, you know, we get so many things like we're told, you know, so many times, pick yourself up by your bootstraps and work hard. But we can see that we've done that historically in this country. And more times than not, we end up getting stuffed out by racism, white supremacy. So I just think this is, you know, a great conversation to be having right now. Definitely, I definitely concur. I think we lost her for a minute. Hopefully she comes back on. It looks like everything got... Yeah, because she's, yeah, she's on mood. Yeah. But yeah, I definitely agree with you on that, man. And it's, it's important that, you know, July Perry's story is told and um, what happened in um, Okoye, yes. Massacre. Okoye. Uh, but yeah, it's important that those stories are told because unfortunately what happens is, like we alluded to before we got into this um, discussion, our history is usually told through whispers, you know, like our aunts, like our grandmother, our grandmother would tell us a story and then we'll tell someone and then they tell someone and then they'll find its way in a movie and then someone's of Google search it. And then they're like, oh my God, I never knew this happened. They're like, it just happened. Yeah, it did happen. It happened in the United States, it happened. So going back to the conversation, did you feel like it was insult to injury when, you know, you know, the promotion of Founder Day. Yes, that's what got me. Um, can you hear me well enough right now? Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay, okay. I had to hear up a headset. But that's what um, got me up uh, really upset because Founders Day was celebrating the founders. And um, they would have a very, um, and I love country music. I always put that out there because I love country. I'm, I'm a southerner, you know, and I, I like country music. I grew up on country music. Country so, music is black music. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. I love all types of music. I don't, I don't, I don't discriminate with that. My tastes are very eclectic. But, um, you know, they they had this big celebration where they would put, you know, lots of hundreds of thousands of dollars into it. I know upwards close to even half a million dollars would go into the production of Founders Day, six figures at least, you know. Um, it got bigger and bigger and bigger every year. And it was a country jamboree, which is fine, and but it was very anti-African-American. Um, mm-hmm. And then there was, they had people that were selling Confederate items at the event. You know, they're selling Confederate flags and hats and all that, which... You know, they're, they're honoring that time period, I guess, you know, but but the tone of it um, was very, you know, not friendly, not diverse. And then to add insult to injury, they were celebrating Founders Day on or near. It didn't fall on the anniversary every year, but they were still doing it close enough to the, that anniversary of the of the Okoye Massacre. You remember Okoye Massacre took place over, it was a whole week of, you know, they started with fear tactics three or four days beforehand. You know, a whole week beforehand. So they so they were this massacre was going on from October, the end of October till the till you know, to the last week, the first end of the first week of November. You know, so that whole time period, no matter how many times you fell within that, you know, you have it have it on the day of uh July Perry's actual murder 
okay, not November 2nd, but you still were in the time frame of what the energy that was going on that led to the Okoye massacre. And they did that for 25 years. Nobody noticed it. A woman named Betty Hager, who was Sam Salisbury's daughter and the first city commissioner, first female city commissioner in Okoye, she started it so that she knows who her father was. I don't feel that it was a coincidence. You know, we have Betty Hager, the direct descendant of Sam Salisbury, who is starting up Founders Day, and she is, you know, she is rumored to have been in the female version of the, of the clan, and they were all, you know, in the clan of some kind of way. You know, they all, Sam Salisbury was open clansman pretty much. His daughter, he was, that's another little fun fact. On the day that he went to attack July Perry, he, his wife was home giving birth to their daughter. They had a daughter born on that very day. She died in 2013, somewhere in there. Um, but she, uh, she was in a lot of, you know, the organizations you see on her obituary. You're like, oh, the da- daughters of the Confederacy, daughters of the, you know, what is that? <laughs> you know, what does that mean? You know, we, we were like, what is that? So it sounds like she might have been very up until her death involved in, you know, white supremacist organizations, you know. So you know what kind of, what if Betty Hagar grew up in that home, you can assume perhaps maybe she was too, but if she wasn't, at least she knew the story because her father was proud of it. Her father was proud of what he did. You know, he's a white supremacist. So, um, you know, she starts Founders Day on the anniversary of the Okoye massacre to celebrate what they did. I know that was on purpose. It was not by accident. Oh yeah, you know, like when they, like these things aren't random. Like the thing is, they they hide that history from us, but they take, like you said, they take pride in it. So they take pride in it. Yeah, this is them, you know, Uh sending a middle finger like to to us. But the thing is, most of the time, since we don't really know or understand the history, or we don't we don't have accurate depictions. We'll, mm-hmm. we'll just look at it like it's a random thing. That's totally right. Like, exactly. That's totally exactly. Different. And then if you put two together, is that from nineteen the mid nineteen twenty to the nineteen sixties is when those uh, Confederate monuments went up all over the South. Yep. So, mm-hmm. like you said, there's no coincidence that that was on purpose. Yeah, that was on purpose. That was on purpose by his daughter too. That was that was on purpose, no, no doubt. So yeah, they they you know they, they that's how they they say. Well, we didn't mean to do it on on Founders Day. Well, you look at who did it. You look at who, you know how how stupid do you think we are? Come on, you know we're not that we're not that gullible. You know we love you. We gonna we gonna we gonna invite you to the to the cookout if you say you're sorry. But we're not that gullible. <laughs> you know don't don't try to um run that bias. It's just let the truth be told. You know you know it's not it's not about revenge. You know with this stuff, it's just about can we have our history? You know. So yeah, that that's so. But that's what made me start a petition. When I found out they were having Founders Day on the anniversary, and it was that type of event, of near on or near the anniversary of the Koi massacre, that's what that's just shot the top of my head off. I started a petition, and that's where I got started at right there, you know. And I started, you know, singing that <laughs> tune in the media to everybody that would listen, you know, and 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 making sure I made a big thing about. It. I went to City Hall and asked him not to, to stop it. And that's when I met the mayor who just chewed me up one side and down the other. You know, I never <laughs> had been to a city council <laughs> meeting before. I didn't know what to expect, you know, and I walked in there and this man just blasted me out, called me an agitator and I'm an outsider. And I was a resident of Okoye. You know, we meet outsider. I live in Okoye. Where do you live? You know, you can't know my address where I live. I'm, not, I'm really going to tell you a stranger where I live in a public forum? Right. In a, what are in you a, doing? In, you drinking the Kool Aid? In, right. in a town that's already massive, you know, gone to. And I'm talking about this right here. I'm talking <laughs> about this, and I'm a female. Right. I'm gonna give you my address. Right. <laughs> it's ridiculous, you know. I think you just completely retarded, you know. It's like, and he did that. He even did that to the to the senator, Senator Bracy. He did put him through yeah. the same ringer. You saw that. Yeah, saw that. Right. Same thing with Senator Bracy. Yeah, I was, uh, There's a video of him doing that to me out there too. The same really? thing he did to me, he did to, did to him. Mm-hmm. And that, um, it goes back, you know, one of the things we were chatting about, I wanted to make sure we talked about, because you said it, like when you were explaining, you know, that this man who's married to, um, you know, a, a, what is it, the great granddaughter of one of the- grand, the, No, the granddaughter, not great, the granddaughter. Granddaughter, granddaughter. Mm-hmm. yeah, married to her, and he's the mayor and he's he he the way he says you know uses the words from what i've seen 
he's really reluctant to apologize. And he uses that thing that we hear uh, white people uh, utilize all the time, which is we didn't, we're not the ones that did it. We're not right. the ones that are guilty of it. Right. You are the ones who benefit, like Ishmael said earlier, uh -huh. you, you're benefiting from it still to this day. Like, I don't know how much that plot of land is worth that you stole from Mr. Perry. You know, I don't know, you know, but I know that if he has any descendants that they could benefit, you know, because everybody can benefit from land, you know, uh -huh. everybody can benefit from the possessions, you know, that uh -huh. your ancestors have. And that's right. You know, there's it, they, it rolls off. I, I call them like trained responses where yes. they just, it rolls off. Oh, we didn't do it. Yeah. it we're we not responsible for what I mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. You could relinquish your privilege. You could relinquish that power that you have. You okay. Know? But yeah, they won't do that. Yeah. Um, like I said, there's I'm no sorry. statute of limitation on, on murder. So, you know, <laughs> this is something that we did. Like I said, we tried in the course today. We will win. We will yeah. win the case. So. so let me, um, I wanted to ask, can you talk a little bit about um, the foundation and the work that you're, you're doing? Because yeah. um, it's, you know, it's not just, you know, a petition for Founders Day. There's much no, more. No, no, no. Yeah, that, yeah. that they, well, they moved Founders Day. So that petition is pretty much, you know, we, we've gotten almost everything that we asked for in that. Aside from um, them giving, giving back something, we want them to give, we asked for reparations in that petition as well. So that's the. Only thing that's kind of an open item on there. We did they did the, the proclamation as well that we asked them to do too, but um, yeah, the Zion Perry Foundation was formed to uh, create an uh, atmosphere to honor and um, to save the legacy, you know, preserve the history of the Okoye massacre and the heroes of the Okoye massacre. We want them seen as not like victims, you know. I mean, they were victims, of course, but they were murdered and they were these this heinous things happened to them. But we want to show the bravery of the people that lived in the Koi, the African-Americans that lived in the Koi. You know, they were, they were, they were homeowners, they were land, they were people that were trying to, uh, they were up and coming. They weren't just a bunch of ignorant backwoods, you know, savages. They were not savages by a long shot. These were, these were, these are people that were making them jealous. You know, they weren't jealous of savages, you know. So, um, you know, we want to make sure that that history is preserved. We, 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 you know, like I said, we got the petition done, proclamation, and we're trying to, you know, get, get more markers erected in the city. We have a lot of, a whole list of things we're going to do and events. We want to continue the legacy what what July Perry was doing. You know, he, he's about home ownership, obviously. He's about financial literacy, you know. So there, there are things that, like I said before, when our grandparents died, they leave us a bill. We get a, we get a funeral bill. When other, uh, when, the, when other people that don't look like us, their grandparents die, they get an inheritance. They get an insurance policy, a house, some land, you know, something. Um, that's just the way it is for us. And we don't know financial literacy because we're not taught that, because our parents don't know. And, you know, and yes, some of us do. I'm not saying that we're all broken and not financially literate. But as, a, as if you look at the race as a whole, that we can learn a lot more, you know, that we weren't taught from children. We don't, we're not taught how to write a checkbook in our, in our, in, in our home. You know, we, we, I think I was in my twenties where I learned how to write a checkbook. My mother didn't teach me that, you know, although she knew how to, she didn't, she didn't teach me, you know, and, and, and the white homes is not like that. They teach their children financial literacy at a very young age, you know, and um, we don't, because we don't have that mindset. You know, we don't, we have, we're not inheriting, we're not inheriting, you know, our mothers are renting. She's not leaving us a, a legacy, she's leaving us a bill. She's going to teach us how to manage what, two cents, <laughs> you know, but they're teaching kids how to manage their legacy in case they die. This is, this is your inheritance. I'm leaving. I, I have something to leave you. You know, I have a $300,000 house and, you know, insurance policies. You got to know how to manage this money. So in case daddy dies, so they yeah. teach him how to do that, you know, and we don't do that. So I want to have classes like that on financial literacy. Um, um, and, 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 you know, home ownership and that kind of thing. We're trying to do events and stuff like that to promote that and also keep awareness about what was going on and to offer pride because when you remember what happened and where you come from, it gives you hope, you know, and um, it gives you motivation to, to continue with the struggles that we have today. You know, it gives you those motivations that you need because, you know, we may not be dealing with all the stuff they were dealing with then, but we have current issues that are just as bad you know, they are still killing us. You know, George Floyd just got murdered. <laughs> you know, he, he might as well have been lynched right there in our face. It was an open public lynching. 
You know, that just happened. Don't tell me there's not still racism in this world. There's, there's a lot more work. There's just more hidden and more subtle because we won't pick up a book, you know, like they hid Founders Day on, hit that celebration because we don't know our history. That's why it's important that we uncover all this stuff and preserve it and have a museum and teach it to our children. And then we learn it and then share it. And it is always preserved. And when we're gone and dead and gone, our children will know the truth and they will continue to be proud. You know, even our history will be history someday. We're the history somebody will be studying, you know, at some point. But you got to leave that legacy correct and intact with the truth so they can learn. You don't learn from the truth. You can't learn from lies. Lies don't do anything. You got you to learn from the truth. So we can't say three people were killed. And we got to put all the stories out there and all the evidence and let them make their own decision, you know. And I think it's, yeah. um, I was thinking of the conversation we had a while ago with those whippersnappers. Yes. Where, um, <laughs> you know, because there's this perception amongst like the younger kids of today that where they think, you know, we see them uh, talking about, I am not my ancestors. We aren't our ancestors. Like mm-hmm. making it sound like they're ready to really do something, you know? Right. And, and it, I, I, I was talking about how that's such a slap in the face uh, to these people who, you know, like the bravery, uh, July Perry, you know, like to tell the women, you know, you guys get away, his wife and his daughter, and basically, mm-hmm. you know, leave himself out to dry. Like to, to say, I'm going to go to this poll, even though these people are threatening to lynch me. Uh, all of these things it's it's such a slap in the face when you say i am not and and i think that part of the reason that they can they feel comfortable saying stuff like that is because they have no idea what happened exactly i was gonna say that yep that's right they have no idea to um to even process like i was you know researching for my book and i went to I, i forgot the name of the town but they have like a one school, like a one room school, and it's like mm-hmm. a museum now. And it was a black school, and it taught, it showed, you know, the conditions that they were in and how our people were making the most out of so little, you know, mm-hmm. one room to teach all these different grades. Yeah, they're getting yep. outdated, you know, school books and outdated materials, and they're mm-hmm. still, you know, thriving using that to to create this black excellence and right. you know it's like we we need to understand these stories and i think sometimes our ancestors our elders may not have been proud of some of the you know stuff so they don't want to you know share it i didn't mm-hmm. find out that my grandmother participated in a sit-in until i was at her funeral and, wow. and I remember she would always like tell, you know, like tell me to, you know, calm down and don't go out and, you know, start trouble and blah, blah, blah. Cause she's telling me that cause she cares and she loves me. Yeah. She knows what happens to black men that mm-hmm. start that good trouble, you know, mm-hmm. but back when she was a kid, she was out there doing it. <laughs> it was in your blood. Yeah. It was in your blood. Right. She won't tell you because she, she didn't want you to go out there and do it too. She was scared and, for you. Yeah. And rightfully so. And rightfully so. Yeah. And she had a right to be scared for you. But like, yeah. I just think of like me, how different it would have been if I would have known that my grandma was out here trying to be a freedom fighter. Like, yeah. that you yeah. know, I may not be here today because you might not have. I might have been like, yeah. yeah, this is my mission. And yeah, but I don't know. And I, those are the I, choices I think, that we have to make. You know, those are the choices that, as parents, we have to make with our kids. This was this what happened with our history. We had to make that choice. Do I tell my child that you know he got that from me, and you know he he gets that you know that out that 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 tenacity from me? But I tell him that he might that might motivate him, and that motivation could get him killed. That's right. So I'd rather just hide and think I'm a coward and let him not know what happened. So I'm saving his life. I'm sure she whether she wasn't proud of it, like she might be trying to save your life, but I'll tell you. Because you probably yeah. would have took that as motivation and ran with it and, and they did something even bigger and stronger. And who knows? You're right. That's the reality that we have that other people don't have. You know, like I was just thinking the other day about my, my, my son, he's in college, you know, and he had he has to drive home from college and you know, with the election that was going on, people people acting a fool in the streets. <laughs> I wouldn't let him drive home. Wow. I said, No, you're not gonna drive home during this time. And I, you know, and I have white friends that would not have, don't have that issue. Right. 
You know, they the kids can drive home back and forth all they want to, you know, speed past a cop doing 90 miles an hour, whatever, call my daddy. You know, yeah. black kids can't do that. Black kids can't do that. And then talking about preserving, because I think I'm a type of person that likes to connect the dots, right? You had the Okoy massacre in 1920, huh? November 2nd. And then six months later, you had the Tulsa massacre, which started May 31st. Uh, June um, 1st of 1921. And mm -hmm. then you had Rosewood. To me, I see that as a terrorist act on black yeah. women and yeah. to end the political influence black people would have had in that time. So can you kind of talk about that a little bit? Because I think I'm all about changing the narrative. And I think that's one part that we need to change the narrative around that time and era that played a critical role of where black people are today. Because if you think about it, if that never happened, like I said, if um, we would have our own party right now, we would like know. if if the intimidation and you know the violence and you know the destruction never happened, we would have our own party, or we'd have our own platforms to where we wouldn't need a party. Like you see it with um, other, you know, ethnicities that come to this country. Mm -hmm. They don't rely on Democrat versus Republican as much as they rely on each other. Like they swipe that from us, like the ability and, and the want to even, you know, band together with our own people to create, you know, financial structures, to create mm -hmm. educational platforms like we were talking about it um, on a previous, you know, conversation where we're talking about what, what we've seen in Atlanta, and this is by no means an attempt to disparage any other, you know, race. I'm not even going to say what particular, you know, ethnicity. Right, right. Yeah, but, not to down people. Right, but we've seen people come in and like take over. Like they start with schools, they have churches, they have mm -hmm. you know businesses that are popping up. And before you know it, like if you live there long enough, you'll be like, okay, this whole thing, and this is a cool, this is cool. They have their yeah. own grocery stores, they have all their own stuff, and they consistently shop and spend their money with each other. And it's like That's right. you don't even see them out here like uh you know, talking about you you don't see on the uh where they're showing the you know how many African Americans voted, or how many this, or how many that. You don't even see that these other ethnicities pop up because uh -uh. these people are like, it's gonna be whatever, but we're gonna continue this cooperative <laughs> economics. You know, uh -huh. we're gonna continue educating our children. We're gonna uh -huh. continue sharing and spreading our wealth amongst each other. And we, you know, at that point, it doesn't matter what you know that or like Donald Trump or like I mean, certain things matter, but overall like your quality of life doesn't mm -hmm. change i think that's why there's so many um there's so many i was gonna say <laughs> something derogatory <laughs> there's so many rural people who consistently vote against their own interests yes. it's because yes. they live in these you know these smaller towns they live in these places where their life is not going to change very much at all regardless of who's in so that's right. They feel comfortable voting for a, a billionaire. They feel comfortable calling themselves conservative, <laughs> conservatives, <laughs> while voting and championing the man who's the symbol of excess for this country yeah. in the last forty yeah. years. Yeah. Like, Mm -hmm. yeah. Sorry. Exactly. Oh, no, 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 no. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely correct. And I, I agree with everything you said. I don't. I don't. I don't disagree with any of that. You're right. You know, and that's how they that's how they how they how they separated us. You know, we won't we won't buy from you know a black person starts a business, you know, and, and they, they have to they, they get their funding and all their startup capital and all their, their customers and all that from their white friends, you know, and, and that and then that their, their their black friends will come on board after they see that okay, after you've made it for a minute, I see you you're still here two or three years later, okay, now I'll support you. But they won't just jump on board out the gate. These are things that we we used to be that way though. Yeah. You know, we were that way until they started tearing down wall, our black Wall Streets and they, and, and they punished. We, yeah, they punished. We were taught that was it was beat out of us exactly. Right. We were tortured for being and that then, way. 
and then the mentality you know that was also whipped into us which is uh -huh. that you know white is you know is is better so like when exactly one of my favorite books it's a it's about sports kind of but it talks about um desegregation and how it uh, negatively impacted like all these black communities it's called the 40 million dollar slave and it's a, a, it's a story about sports but it's you know it's the same thing like they talk about uh the negro leagues the baseball you know leagues and how those teams that we had were kind of like helping the communities that we you know because if you have a team a baseball team you got to have jobs you know yeah. there's people that uh -huh. gotta work yeah. the field there's people that gotta you know cook the food vend like right. all these different things and so once they started taking the black players it started like weakening the teams to the point where people don't want to go see the teams anymore because they want to see uh -huh. jackie robinson playing for the dodgers right right, right. so at that point now we're starting to decimate our community and it was the same uh -huh. thing once we were allowed to go eat anywhere it's like something in our mind which i never understood why i was <laughs> going to go some go eat somewhere that doesn't want to serve me that doesn't yeah. want me there yeah and that was and a yeah. strategy that was right. a strategy you know right. And, yeah, and mm -hmm. I get it. I, I understand mm -hmm. what needed to be done to break those walls down, but it's like we shouldn't we we shouldn't abandon our own. You know what I mean? That's right. That's right. And, and and you know that's why it's important. I think that our history is taught. You know because people like you said they don't know. And if and you can make your own. Once if you have the truth before you and not a narrative that's whitewashed or just that's downplayed, but the actual truth in front of you, you, you can take your own intelligent mind and make, make up your own mind what you think and not uh, listen to somebody else. When you read the truth, that can, that, that's when you start feeling the pride, you know, in your, in your heritage, knowing who you really are, not Africa, you know, going back to Africa, that's great. That's fine. And dandy, but we're, we're not, we're, we're African-Americans, but we're not African. You know, so we, we can go back to Africa. That's great. That's all fine. That's part of our, that's a big, huge part of our heritage. But we also got to know is who we are as African Americans. Right. You know how yeah. we how we got here the way we are today. You know that we 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 have pride in that. We should have, we need to be able to find pride in what those Africans did when they got here, how they fought and what they stood for, and how they tried to you know maintain their name. You know we see roots, and that's the last time we see about Toby and Kunta, you know, and all that. And then <laughs> that, that's the last time. But you know they beat him down, and we you know cut off his foot so he wouldn't run. You know, so it's like they. They that's that was a good depiction. I remember when I saw that movie too. I was I was in in school then, and it, it I, I was looking at the world through rose colored glasses. I believe until I saw that, you know. And then they they uh it was it was a rude awakening. And I wish I had known, you know, about what it was like before I saw that movie. I was I was angry back then that I wasn't taught that in school, you know. Um, but but we our history is important, you know. When I when I saw Ruth, it gave me gave me a a whole, I was motivated. I was happy. I, I started wearing my hair natural and start, you know, the more part of my head, I'm all, you know, I want to wear my little afro. You know, I felt proud of my heritage. And I was, you know, I wasn't, I, okay, my nose is bigger. Okay, my lips are bigger, whatever. You know, that's that's just who I am, you know. And um, we need that today. We need a good dose of that today to help us come together better. We're coming together, though. I don't want to run us down too much. I love my people. We're oh, doing yeah. a lot better, yeah. you know, but we got to do more. We got, we got to do better, though. But when you know better, you do better. You know, we do better. And, and we just don't know our history. That's why we must. Yes. The Koi Massacre must be preserved. The Black Wall Street must be preserved. All those memories all over the country of what happened, those must, that must be preserved. There should be a movement, you know, to, to bring forth our history that where we put up museums that are, that are, and I don't mean to, can we tell our story? You know, let, let us tell our story. Don't allow somebody who doesn't look like us water it down. Not there's not to be racist. They see they always quick to say it to us, well if you have an all black owned organization or all black owned group right. doing something. Now you guys are, are we we're we're some kind of militia. We're 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 now now we're a problem because we don't we're not inclusive. But you right. can be how many how many all all one you know race of a people organizations are there out there? There's a right. lot of them and they'll have one little person in there. Right. They might look like us, you know, or, or somebody is Asian, some minority, any, any minority. They'll throw them in there so they can say, oh, we're inclusive. 
But then when we do it, <laughs> you know, it's a huge problem. In terms of the shoes not good on the other foot, it's a huge problem. So, you know, that's not fair. That's not fair. You know, it's not that we want to be, we're not trying to start a riot. Black people, we're the most forgiving people there is. <laughs> you know, we, we, will, we will meet somebody that's racist and teach them and, and show them love and love them back in, in, into, into a, a good state of mind and invite them to the cookout and, you know, and, and, and treat them like, and take care of them when they get old. You know, so we are the best people at forgiving. We're not mad. No. We just want we just want our history. I'm not mad. I'm not an angry black woman. I'm just I'm just a woman who wants to that loves my people. I want my, my children to know their truth, know their history. And that's the one thing is knowing your truth and then also restitution. I think that's the big uh-huh. impact about it. And when we talk mm-hmm. about generational wealth, a hundred years is not a long time ago. What happened to no, Obama in 1920? What happened in um, Tulsa in 1921 is not too long ago. Uh, Rosewood, the families were able to get restitution. I know the senator of um, of Florida is working dil- diligently to do that. Um, can you kind of talk about that? Because I know he had legislation to get restitution for the descendants, but there was some fight back towards it. Yeah, he's having, he's having, you know, as far as I know, I mean, I can't talk about it too much because that is, you know, his his agenda. And I don't want to um, jump in board and and, and uh, do too much uh, in different what he's trying to do. But right. I, what I do know is that he did face some some pull some pushback, and that he's not able to, you know, it, it, it needs help. You know, we still have that platform that we have to let people know and, and, and solicit help for getting, getting that part of it pushed through. Yeah, they're going to do the educational bill. But you know what I saw in, in, in part of the educational bill? They want to call it the riot. You know, it, it, you want to call it, well, teach, everywhere you see is a Koi massacre, the Koi massacre, Koi massacre. But they want to teach our kids that it's the Koi riots. And that's well, sad. There's, because, there's a big difference between a riot and because, a massacre. Yeah, because that's what they did with the Tulsa. They called it a riot right. so the families yeah. wouldn't give insurance on it. Right. Right, it, exactly, it, and we can't let that, that kind of stuff. We can't let it happen. Deeper, like when you use that word, like you're you're saying that people were acting crazy and had to be set down. Exactly, and so, at least we were in their homes, right? Hiding, right. running, fleeing. Right, you came along and shot them in the back. Right. <laughs> they were they were rioting. Right. Yeah, and, and and that's the part you know. We have to be so careful with how we word things and what uh-huh. uh, what words we choose to accept, you know, because in that exactly. situation, it's like they can say riot and that's a way of watering it down. Like That's a way of watering it down. You know, it's, it's different than what uh, uh-huh. Ms. Grady said, where there's a, a woman and her pregnant daughter under the house and they know it and they set them on fire. There's okay. nothing about that says riot. Right. Nothing about that says riot. First degree. Killing children. Right. Yeah. yeah. Premeditated. That that's yeah. And all yeah. they wanted to do was to vote. And that's the critical point of the whole thing is that they just wanted to do their civic yeah. duty. And yep. that nobody Yep. Nobody was raped or murdered or nobody was attacking anybody. Nobody no white woman says somebody raped her. It was none of that. It was just the right to vote. <laughs> And that's the important thing. As we come to the end of this awesome conversation, I think we got to do this again because this is important. I think this story needs to be in the sphere of the media world. I think it should be on MSNBC. I should. Uh, it should be on Fox. It's the hundred year anniversary. Um, yeah. Out there, who's listening out there right now? Who? What do you want people to know about uh, July Perry? You know, how uh, and why is he important to the to the story? Our story. Oh, can you hear me, Miss uh, Grady? Oh no, I'm sorry. What'd you say? I, no, you're talking to me. Oh, oh yeah, I was talking to you. Like, <laughs> I thought you were saying that you want. Yeah, yeah. What's important? Okay. Yes. Yeah. What's, well, well, why is because you know, like I, I like I've said already that you know it's important for us to know our history because our history gives us motivation and courage and hope. You know, it's gonna it, our people need. We need to heal from these atrocities that happened to us. We don't. We don't realize the mental abuse that we still suffer. The, the, the fight or flee mode is still still in our DNA from our ancestors. We need to find a, a place of pride, you know, because we don't, black people, I feel like, I feel like, and, and you know, I'm not saying everybody, because some, some of us, a lot of us are perfectly fine, but I feel like as a whole, we have some really, some, some 
some gullies and some gaps and some things that need to really be repaired in us as a people. Like we don't support each other as much as we should. We don't we don't come together as much as we should. And I think it's really because we don't know who we are. We don't know where we come from. We don't we don't have our history. You know, we can go from Africa to now. Yep. You know, that's it. And, and and a lot of us can't relate to Africa because we just we've never we've never been to Africa. So we know that they look like us, but then you meet an African, they live so different. So what happened between Africa, you know, in 2020? That's what we need to know so we can fill in that big gap. That's the gap. That's the gap. You know, and if we just would preserve that and just would make sure that that's a, a, it becomes a big, bigger platform, I feel like that would bring healing to our, to our community, to, to our culture. And that would help us change. You know, education, when you know better, you do better. And education is power, and, and and we are people that are powerful beyond measure, you know. And um, I, I I think that's that's the that's the answer if you ask me. And I education. Totally, I totally agree with that, and I want to thank you for taking the time to talk to us, and also thank you for filling in that gap because in our story, <laughs> there's always gaps in our in our in our history, yeah. and you're yeah. doing your part, Greg. I want to thank you, bro, for filling in that gap um, when you're making it entertaining for children and adults to learn about their history. Cause I know with Tuskegee Harris and I know stories that you've been talking about of how um, that one story of the one lady from the Caribbean, I do believe um, that read the comic book and- Oh yeah. Can you talk about that before we end? Oh yeah, the, um, the ladies. So uh, this lady reached out and she's from uh, the Virgin Islands and she was, um, talking about how she had never heard of the Tuskegee Airmen or any of that. So when she saw the comic book, you know, it prompted her to like look into the story behind it. She found out that, uh, I think it's, I want to say like three of the pilots of the actual Tuskegee Airmen were uh, from the Virgin Islands. And she found out that she was related to one. And uh, yeah, <laughs> and so it's like um, these, you know, you know, with that came, you know, she ordered some books, you know, to share with some of the kids. Uh, and it's like, you know, any way we can, you know, bring awareness to some of these great things, you know, for people to get to see, like, we got to, we do a lot of school visits and we talk to kids and we ask, like, have you guys ever heard of Tuskegee Airmen? And a lot of times they haven't. And mm-hmm. so, like, they they think it's just a, you know, just a sci-fi comic book. And we're like, no, 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 this is based off of reality. Yeah. And we show them pictures and we, you know, and you can see people's eyes light up um, because they're learning things from the history. And these are things that, you know, invoke pride, right? So when you tell mm-hmm. somebody over and over again that they were a slave, and you tell them that their history started with, you know, being enslaved, then, you know, that's kind of what the, the, you know, what walks around in your spirit, you know. But if you, when you tell people like all these great things, you know, uh-huh. these inventions, like all this stuff that, you know, your people have done, it, yeah. it's something like, okay, well, I like technology. I didn't know that, you know, a black man created this or, you know, a black woman created that. Maybe yeah. I could do some, you know, enhancing or ad- advancing. Also, it's just mm-hmm. it's a beautiful mm-hmm. thing. So um, it is. It truly is. I know is. I'm gonna share this with my nieces. I'm gonna share the documentary when I get off. Uh, <laughs> probably watch Wonderful. it with them tonight. Wonderful. <laughs> yeah. That's great. That's and, uh, great. Just so they can get that understanding, because what's happened is the way that they, you know, like kind of spoon fed us with our history is we always look at these things like they're random occurrences. Uh-huh. And, uh-huh. you know, when you see that map, they have a map right now of, like, all the different places where there were, like, massacres of Black people. You know, um, when you look at that and then you start looking at the proximity and you look at, you know, the time, you know, the times that these things occurred and you realize all of this is methodical. And uh-huh. um, you add it all up, like I said, what did you destroy? You destroyed our, you know, chances for us to have our own platforms. Yeah. Like, they destroyed so many things. And yeah. I, I spend a lot of nights trying to figure out how we put it back together or if we can put it back together. 
but stuff like mm-hmm. this is definitely a start. Yeah. You know, the land that, that was stolen in the Koi, uh, there's a, the, the, there's a, uh, a researcher said it's, it's worth $9 million. Wow. By today's right. standards, nine million dollars of land they stole. That's what would be valued at today. Wow. Like, that's nine million dollars of generational wealth yeah. that was stolen. Yeah. And that's not even talking about like what you know, what could exactly. have been in that land. Exactly. Business. Exactly. The possibilities are exactly. So you know, so they, they there's a debt that is owed to the black community, and um, you know that that. There is something. I mean, we're not asking for handouts. It's not. It's not the point. The point is, that we wouldn't need a handout if we had our own. Yeah. You know. So don't say we, we're we're looking for handouts. We got to have welfare and all that. Well, we wouldn't have a need for that if we could have our history and have equity, not equality. You want equity, then we'll be on an even playing field, and let's take it from there. Let's take it from there. You know, we'll be fine. Don't look at us as as we're property. You know. And everybody's doing their part. And hopefully right. um, through this um, interview that everyone, you know, go look at, get that information about the Okoyo massacre, also the other massacres too, and get a good blueprint picture of how around that time just changed the landscape of black America at that time. Because I think mm-hmm. that's one of the biggest thing that's left out of the narrative is that in, the, in, that, in that 20 atmosphere, that just changed everything. And so yep. everyone just do your research, man. Just learn as much as you can. Uh, Ms. Grady, tell people how they can find you, please. Well, uh, yeah, I, I am I am the executive director of the July Prairie Foundation. So it's, you, know, you can find me through the julyprairiefoundation.net. And um, you know we have, you can email us and you can find, contact us through there. And um, that will come to me and, and our, our team of people and that's how you can find us. And we are, we are here in Okoye. And we are working to, you know, bring equity and to bring awareness and preserve our history. And that's the one thing. And Greg, where can they find you? Because you're doing what your guys are doing, preserving history through um, entertainment. Um, TuskegeeAirs.com, PlatformL7.com. And I'm on Instagram. My Instagram is there. And then uh, you can find me, Greg Burnham, on Facebook. All over the place. We just everywhere, yeah. man. Everybody loves I, you, man. I forgot we have we have Facebook and all that too. I forgot. <laughs> we have Facebook. I'm on out. Facebook. I'm all there. I'm Facebook, Instagram, there, Twitter. We're, we're out there too. We're out there too. July Fair Foundation has, has, has all that too, and me too, Pam Grady. <laughs> you can find me as well. All right, and I thank you guys for this informative conversation. And like I said, we got to do this again. Everybody, we're out of here. I love to. <laughs> all right. <laughs> for you yeah yeah there whenever it matters and even more when you feel like it doesn't protect you so you never feel like you wasn't know i'm right alongside you here but that i'm behind you but always got you in the discussion nothing means more first one to offer his shoulders for what you preach for thought i saw the eyes of the world until i seen yours and know that i ain't see a better view yet I'm with whatever, so don't ever you fret Know that you covered, not a hurdle or a heartbreak To change what a partake Cause none of them won't ever get comfortable in your walkway My job is to aware you, fully loaded, prepare you For all of the above that I'm never letting get near you But still in all, give you every advantage I found Couldn't find a better fit for them, along with my crown And since the baton was passed, I've been down Cause failing's not an option, and dad is not a noun, not at all